This is episode 58 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this podcast, we're going to be interviewing Paul Zizka, and I've talked to Paul for several years now, but we haven't talked virtually like this for several years. We've just communicated via email. The reason that I wanted to have Paul on is not only because of his expertise in photography, especially in self-portraiture in Banff National Park and in the Canadian Rockies, but he also has a lot to offer photographers in terms of business decisions. You know, when do you go with a team versus doing everything by yourself? Or how do you organize your life to allow you to do what you want to do as a career. So we talk a lot about that. We also talk about how Paul realized that he has just barely scratched the surface in exploring the Canadian Rockies and Banff National Park after he did aerial photography for his new book. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Paul Zizka. Paul is joining us from Canada today where he lives. Um, Paul, we were just discussing right before I hit record, we talked a long time ago in the past. I I think it was 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. And and we haven't really spoken since. So I'm looking forward to today's conversation. And I'm also astonished that it's been that long since we actually did talk. Absolutely. We're long overdue for a catch up, David. I feel so much has changed since. So I'm super excited to be here today. What do you think has changed since we last talked? Because it has been, you know, very fast moving in the photography world, not only with, uh, you know, technology that advances, but also personal style and life events that happen. So what's different, do you think, or what's changed about your photography since we last spoke? Well, I think photography as a whole has always been a very volatile industry. So that's, you know, in a way, lots of change, but nothing's changed. Uh, from my from a personal standpoint, um, yeah, a, a lot has. There's been a lot of changes in my personal life. I mean, last time we talked, I think uh, I would have been the father of one child. And I now have two young children at home. So uh, that has a direct impact on um everything I do photography related. So, um, you know, of course I, I, I spend a lot more time on the road actually now than I used to in 2014. So, um, just juggling priorities, um, definitely is something that's, it's, it's basically, a it's something it's, it's a one big topic of conversation in our household, how to, how to just be how to be able to give everybody what they need without letting go of you know feel too much field time and still making ends meet in in like we said an industry that's volatile so the main thing the main change at my end i think has just been that um yeah the days are fuller than they were in 2014 that's for sure what's that learning curve been like for you that learning curve has been uh it's been quite a roller coaster honestly it's some days I think that some some weeks we look back at the week past and we, my wife and I, we feel like we've done a really good job at performing the juggling act. 
And some weeks we feel like, um, you know, definitely some things fell through the cracks and that we didn't handle things as best as we could have. Uh, to be honest, these days we have trouble making it all happen in 24 hours. It's, it's tricky, um, especially as, you know, we're, we're very determined. We're both creatives. We both, we're both self-employed. We both work from home. Uh, we both try to, we're both determined to make a living out of our passions, basically. And we do that, um, yeah, doing that with two little kids at home. Um, that obviously we want, you know, we, we want to give them everything that they need and we want to give them um, the best chance in life. It's it's tough. So, uh, you know, we've learned a lot over the years for sure. But I would say there's still times where we look at each other and we look at the week ahead and we think about, oh, my gosh, like how are we going to fit all this in the week ahead? And I think we've learned that, of course, the whole thing is 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 so much of a marathon and and you know we're we're not getting any younger i suppose so we, we have to manage ourselves properly so that we can still do what we're passionate about years from now hopefully and and uh, at the same time have um you know have kids that are well positioned to to take on what's being thrown at them in in their lives yeah, your wife, Megan Ward, um, a writer, uh, a great creative in her own right, both working from home, as you described, as, as many of us are right now. Um, with your creativity as a photographer, does it help you having both parents at home, managing that family life and also balancing your creative uh side of the brain to, to get out and create, does that benefit you to have both of you working from home? It definitely does, David. I think there's no doubt that um, we're in a position where we can, we can at least accommodate each other when um, there's, there's a project we're particularly excited about or time, you know, times of the essence for, for a specific idea, you know, there's some, or there's something I want to shoot because conditions are aligning um, tonight and I need to go out tonight. And so we're well positioned to um, sort of juggle the schedule even last very last minute at times in order to make it happen for each other. Um, so I think we definitely have an advantage that way. And uh, it, for that reason, every week is completely, completely different and nothing's ever really set in stone. And so we've been, I think we've done a good job. That's one thing we've done a good job at is making room for each other so that we've been able to pursue and complete those various, various projects like, um, you know, photo shoots and, and books, especially in Meg, Meg's case. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something that I think I'm quite proud of, uh, over the last few years. The one thing that, you know, the one thing that we're struggling with now is actually seeing each other as, as opposed to just passing the baton all the time. But that's, that's another story. Yeah, I know. I, I always hear it described when you have one kid, it's easy because you can do kind of a man to man defense. But when you have two, you move to a zone defense or kind of like a two on one fast break and hockey. It, do you find that true? Yeah, we certainly, yeah, I, I would say so for sure. Um, and now we're, we're, there's a fairly good age gap between uh, our two daughters. We have a seven year old, a two year old, a seven year old, you know, is starting to get to an age where 
you know, she's, she can take care of herself a little bit more. She helps out quite a bit. She's, she takes her role of big sister seriously. So she takes care of the little one a lot of the time. And that, that really, that really helps. Um, otherwise, yeah, what we've been resorting to is, um, usually is one of us has, one of us has the two kids. The other one is sort of can switch hats so that they're not distracted. They can consider themselves off the hook so that they can focus on work or focus on passions outside of work. So, um, you know, just going and playing in the mountains. That's why we moved we moved to Banff in the first place. We fell in love with the wilderness and outdoor pursuits. And so it's important that we give each other that time to pursue those things at some sort of level and so usually that's the way we go about things and we also always carve out you know full-on family time every week where the four of us are together so that we can have those bonding experiences as a family as well but we have to be very intentional about carving out those blocks of time and really sticking to them uh, as much as possible not only is your wife uh, Megan helping you out you know, at home, obviously, but she's also kind of part of your team along with Danielle Gillard and, and Tracy Packus. Um, how important is it for you to to have a team behind you and have a team with your photography who has your back? Oh my gosh, it's so huge. Uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being solo. It's 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 been, um, and it's unfortunate that that doesn't come through just in the sense that, you know, everything that almost everything that we consume about each other is just through social media. Right. And everything always looks like a solo effort because, you know, every time you post an image or you, you mention a project it doesn't really make sense every time to mention that there's four people involved as opposed to just one, but it's amazing how much, um, you know, how, how much those, um, you know, those, my, my teammates, how much work they, they get done behind the scenes. And that really allows me to jump fully into everything that I do as much as possible. I don't know how, um, I don't know how I would be able to fully commit to a shoot or a workshop or, a, um, an adventure somewhere. If I had doubts about things, you know, falling apart, what I'm gone, if I had concerns around that, but, um, it's just amazing to be able to confident, confidently go out there, fully switch hats, you know, to not be on the fence and know that in the background, everything is happening as it should. Every, the emails are being responded to, um, all the various inquiries are being handled that, uh, social media interaction is happening questions are being answered. And so when I get back from a day out, or especially for, um, you know, when in non COVID times, if I come back from three weeks on the road, where I haven't had time to look into a whole lot, I'm not, not for one, things have been, things are getting done, but also I'm not completely overwhelmed. And I'm not just playing catch up for the net for another three weeks. So it's no, it's been vital to our business for sure to have the right people in place. And I'm just so proud of the team that we have. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited about the future going forward because also it all allows us to take on, you know, of course, some new projects as opposed to just, you know, sort of the daily, the daily grind, you know, accomplishing. Um, instead of keeping our heads above water, we can actually look at 
taking on exciting new projects as well, which is really fun. So no, super thankful for the team. And I, I don't remember what it was like doing things on my own. And I can't, I can't envision ever doing that again. Well, yeah, a lot of us are still doing it, my, myself included. You know, I don't have a team behind me or, or an assistant answering emails or anything like that. And like you described, it is a huge stressor when you are out in the field and trying to get your creative work done. Was there a point where you kind of thought to yourself, this, this needs to be a team effort? And I think your answer is probably going to help a lot of people listening when they do want to expand their photography business, take on more projects and maybe build their, their personal brand a little bit more. That's such a great question. I'm glad you asked that question, David, because that really was there a moment. There was a moment where it was almost out of necessity. I was in a place where, um, you know, I were either I was facing, um, I was facing potentially some health issues in the sense that I was down to like my 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 sleeping schedule, my eating habit. You know, I just couldn't find time to keep all those priorities priorities in check. Meg was always somewhat involved in the business because we're married and we live together and all that. And of course, you know, everything that she does benefits the family as a whole. But we were eventually forced to look at outside help. And that's something that something that I recommend highly all the time is for people to go and get that outside help much earlier than we did. I should have done that probably two or three years earlier because it was a real game changer for us. Um, and I think part of why I didn't do it earlier and part of why people hesitate is that they feel like they need to have 30, of work, 30 hours of work a week to pass on to someone else in order to get help. But really, you don't. Um, even if you get to a point where there's five hours a week that you can outsource give to someone else who, for one, might be way better at that particular um, that particular task than you are, might enjoy it more. Um, and that's when that's, you know, it's five hours, but that's five hours, potentially five hours in the field a week, which is, is huge. When business starts taking off, um, I think a lot of photographers end up in the same sort of weird situation where it's like, well, it's great that business is taking off, but I'm a photographer and I haven't shot in three weeks. What's going on? It's not really what I want to do. And for me, the only way to carve out that field time was to get some help. And I should have done that even at, even when I was only able to afford, you know, two hours to outsource two or five hours a week. But instead, I think I waited, I waited too long and really, I realized there's a lot of tasks that I didn't need to be doing myself that that someone else would gladly do for a certain amount of money per hour. And and that, you know, it's just a matter of figuring out who the right person is. And a lot of the honestly, a lot of what we outsourced, um, the people who are in charge, they're so much better at those things than I am that um, it's just it's such a no-brainer in hindsight we should have done that much earlier so my advice to fellow photographers who are feeling overwhelmed with the schedule and or they feel like they're starting to have to turn down a lot of good opportunities is just look at what you accomplish on a weekly basis I bet you there's something in there that um, that you can that someone else would gladly do for you 
um, at least in the short term until you're on top of things. But my guess is you're going to be, you're going to find so much value in it that you're going to keep going that direction and, and just stay with that trajectory and just pass on more and more stuff. Cause you're, you're, you're going to love that. Um, you're going to love that. It's freeing up your, your time for, well, not just field time, but family time at time with other, other of life's priorities. Was there a percentage though that you had in mind financially and you don't have to give me exact amounts here. We can stick with percentages, but like, okay, I'll set aside 15% of this month's income to hand off those tasks to somewhere else. Or did you have any of those goals in place before you started outsourcing some of that work? We, um, I think when we hired our first assistant, we had, um, we had basically the way we went about it is we, we looked at, okay, what is it that we can outsource? What is it that Paul doesn't need to be doing? I think it amounted to 20 to 25 hours a week at that time. And then, then we looked at the final, the financial side and we looked at, well, you know what? Um, we can afford, uh, we can afford to bring in somebody for 20 hours a week. And then, also, some of the tasks that that person would be handling are tasks or things that will generate revenue directly, like stock sales, things like that, pursuing stock sales, print sales, you know. And so in a way that that employee, that contractor would, would pay for them, you know, would pay for themselves a little bit to some extent. And so I think, but if I was to do it again, I would say, if you can afford to outsource, um, to set aside, you know, um, 200 bucks a week and pass on some of that work, you know, maybe some of the more tedious work that someone else could handle, not work that doesn't require hours and hours of training. Like the first thing that I started with was things like keywording or social media. Um, there, some of social media, requires training there's no doubt about it but there's there's some tasks regarding social media that really nearly anybody could be doing so those are the things that you know even if you can afford 200 bucks a week to pass on to someone else um you know determine what your time is worth and i bet you for a lot of photographers out there it's very much worth it what about the creative side of photography switching gears here um i was reading up on your website and and on the front page it says that your journey is to capture the undocumented as a testament for your passion of exploration creative vision and and your fierce sense of determination i'm making under documented in hand quotes right now with my fingers, because usually people talk about, you know, I want to go out and explore the undocumented. Are there still areas of undocumented or is it all just underdocumented because the world is getting smaller? There's, um, there, there's so much that remains to be documented at all. I think it's, it's, um, the world is getting smaller for sure. At the same time, um, you know, I think there's the whole question of, I, I strongly believe, you know, you can go anywhere that's been over-documented, people would say, or shot to death and, and 
put your own spin on it and come up with a story that's fresh and a perspective a perspective that's fresh. But I think just geographically speaking, there's a lot of corners of the world that um, nobody has ever pointed their cameras at. I'm, I'm convinced of that because, you know, um, as much as the world is getting smaller and, uh, you know, in non, you know, at once, um, once tr- international, sorry, once international travel resumes, people will be getting out there and exploring again. I think what's clear, even just looking at social media and all that, what's clear is that there's sort of a, um, there's, there's a, a certain effect that's happening where, and I see it here living in Banff National Park, where we get more and more visitation, but everybody still ends up at the same 10, 20 spots. It's not like people are filling in the gaps on the map. And I know that's what happened. That's what's happening in other tourism hotspots like Iceland and those places. The vast majority of people uh, end up in the same, in the very same spots. And I think part of Part of the reason for that is that there's people seem what we see here is people seem to travel in a way that their schedules are more and more packed every time. They want to see more in less time. So any location that requires a little bit more of physical work to get to or in, you know, or putting up with a bit more discomfort, I think remains likely remains certainly underdocumented, perhaps undocumented. I think, uh, I think that's the trend we're seeing here. I mean, you, the, 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 you know, you only have to walk two hours from the road here in Banff National Park to go shoot a scene that's never been photographed before. And I'm sure it's the same in a lot of other places in the world. It comes down to wanting to commit the time, which a lot of people, I think, would rather see the sites in a way that doesn't really allow for, um, you know, for a lot of um, time per image that they shoot. What's it like for you having your name and face attached synonymously with a place like Banff National Park that's so famous? Oh, it's it's an honor for sure to be you know um, whenever you're referred to as one of the you know one of the Banff photographers. I mean, it's 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 super flattering and and especially from, you know for someone who just showed up here showed up here and kind of um sort of overnight almost decided to take up photography and without you know too much in terms of expectations it's 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 kind of dizzying it's it's yeah it's very um i'm i'm honored to be representing banff i mean i'm so proud of so proud of where i live and it's such a joy to be able to bring um bring this part of the world to other people through social media through workshops it's uh yeah it's 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 really, it's truly a joy and, and, uh, and an honor. Having said that, I mean, I think it also comes with, uh, responsibilities. There's no doubt. I mean, you, you have to be, um, you know, you're, you're things that you do tend to be, a even things, things that I do now are under more scrutiny than they were when we last talked in 2014, for sure, because there's just more people sort of following along on the journey. And, um, I have to be, you know, you try to set example and just try to, the more that, the more that you have people paying attention to what you do, the more I think you're drawn to thinking about the long-term impact and the, and, and, and the far ranging impact of your actions out there. And, uh, you know, and, and thinking about how to operate in a way that's sustainable. Uh, it's easy to love a place to death. I think in a way we've seen that over and over again. And I think, 
photographers, especially in this age of social media, where it's, it's easy to get the eyeballs. Um, I think we have, we have to ask ourselves those questions for sure. Is there ramifications from things that you've posted in the past? I'm asking because it's easy. Like now you said you have more eyes on your work in hindsight when you look back to when you first started. Um, you mentioned just picking up your camera overnight and Banff and going out and photographing. Um, what have you learned since that point on maintaining you know, a respect for the places that you're going out to photograph? Well, I think um, I think part of it is just being part of it is just you, you, you you've got to do what you advocate. You, you know, you, you've got you can't just go out there and just sort of um, you know just just damage the environment in one way or another and impact the wildlife and then just turn around on social media and say you know we should all we should all be respect, respectful of the environments that we shoot and all that. So I think part of it is just really living it. Um, and then I think part of it too, is just being, being a bit more conscious of uh, be, be, being a bit more conscious of what kind of information you make uh, available to the public as a whole. I mean, I, I absolutely love that. It's amazing to see people connecting with the wilderness in some way and, and, and leaving their house and going out there with the camera and lacing up their boots because they may have seen an image of yours online. I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's in a way that's, that's the dream. That's why that's part of why we're doing it to inspire others to, to go out there. Um, but there's no doubt that regardless of, regardless of how respectful people are, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a huge impact that just comes with numbers, numbers of visitors, even if everybody does everything right. And so I think, um, you know, I think as photographers, we have to be a little bit more, we have to be mindful about, you know, things like disclosing locations. Um, and we have to be, keep things a little bit more vague sometimes. So that's like almost an extra step in the workflow, especially in terms of social media. It's like, okay, if I post this and 500 people show up at that spot in the next week, is that, is that something that is, acceptable or is that something that is just cannot happen and uh then then maybe it's a matter of just delaying posts or being cryptic about the geography or if you're going to post something to once in a while remind people that uh you know the it's a fragile environment and uh yeah but i i i tend to spend i'm you know in a way fortunate is not quite the right word but i'm drawn to places that um, in a way might not ever be trampled to death because simply because they take a bit more time to get to and maybe a bit more work to get to. I love, love, and I'm not saying don't do roadside photography. I love roadside photography, but I've been here for long enough that I've shot a lot roadside. And now what gets me fired up more and more is filling in the gaps on the map. And I love to just go places that um, increasingly it makes sense that if I want to see something new, I'm going to need to commit more and more time and move my feet more and more. So I end up in those places where not people don't have as much time or desire to get to. So I don't have to be as concerned about, uh, perhaps about, you know, sharing images. 
but certainly if I'm shooting uh, places that are very easily accessible and where overnight 500 people should show up, then it's definitely worth adding that one step to the whole the whole workflow and asking yourselves as a team, you know, uh, how do we want to go about this one or that other post? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Paul, because someone the other day asked me, um, do you like photographing those places that are really popular? Or do you like going out and finding and exploring for those places that only you know about? And it, I'd never really considered it before, but my answer was the, the place like yours, the places that no one really knows about that I had to put in the work to find those. What do you think about the exploration? Like what about the exploration is it for photographers that they want to find those random spots, but, but still love to go to the roadside spots? Well, for me, it's uh, exploration ahead of photography. You know, it's a curiosity has always been what drives my, my work, my efforts out there. Um, I would much rather just see something new and get that sort of rush of excitement that comes with seeing a new valley or a new waterfall or something like that. I would much rather get that, even if it meant that I wouldn't have any images to show for it. You know, I try to increasingly, I see the images as more of a convenient byproduct if they happen. But otherwise, for me, it's more about I would way rather see somewhere new or at least see a place under a new light in the sense I might revisit a place that I've never been to in the winter, for example. Um, but I found that, um, yeah, exploration, exploration is really at the forefront of my approach. And the interesting thing, to, the interesting thing when, in this age of social media is that... Um, you know, in a way, it's something that feels a little bit lost, perhaps, or maybe it's a motivate. It's not as high uh, um, as important a motivation as it ne- as it used to be, perhaps, because it feels like. In- and I see that just even in workshop settings. I see you see people increasingly trying to. They show up with the intention to. Um, for them, of course, those areas are new. There's no, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say don't go to Vermilion Lakes or Castle Mountain to shoot it. I mean, those places are absolutely phenomenal. There's a reason why everybody gets, gets there. But there are places that you've seen so much online um, that, and, and, and there are places where it's so hard to find solitude that it's still, it, it'll never be like the experience of, you know, um, walking up a drainage or bushwhacking for a bit and ending up at a little alpine lake and, and having an, being able to shoot, um, in complete solitude to shoot something that you've never heard of, or, or, you know, you've somewhere, certainly you've never been to before. So I think in the workshops, especially, um, the, it takes, it takes more and more work, I think, to, to get people to explore and immerse and move their feet. People seem to be uh, more and more. You find people show up and be more like hell bent on getting a certain image or getting to a certain location because they've seen it so many times as opposed to, um, yeah, as opposed to going somewhere that they've never heard about. But for me, for me, exploration is, is, is just so crucial to my approach. That's what keeps me, excited about being out there 
And if I'm not excited, then I find that it shows in the images and the work is becomes a bit forgettable. And so um, I find one thing just leads to another. So ex- exploration exploration is th- this winter, my entire, my entire winter will be built around trying to get places I've never been to before within Banff National Park because I can't go anywhere else at the moment. So that's my plan for the winter because I know that's what makes photography sustainable for me. Well, I know the word exploration, when people hear it, they may think, okay, well, I have to travel, you know, via airplane to somewhere that I've never been before, but you're so focused on your own backyard, Banff National Park. And while it is a vast environment that you can explore, it it almost puts more emphasis, I think, on photographers to think differently about locations in their own backyard and putting in the effort to finding those places. Totally. I agree with you, David. I think COVID in a way was good for that. I think it's uh, suddenly you don't have the luxury to just go to far flung destinations to go shoot something. And, and I think sure a lot of photographers realize they have a lot more to work with in the backyard than than they thought. And I'm fortunate. I mean, we have I have a backyard that aesthetically is very beautiful and it's vast and there is a lot to do uh, at the same time. Uh, it's the same thing for I think when people think of exploration and adventure, they they associate that with perhaps like um, discomfort or a huge amount of time or pain or huge amount of effort. And I think it's just a matter of kind of um, rethinking your idea of adventure. I mean, adventure and exploration means different things to different people. It's not like, and, and for myself, it's the same thing. I mean, um, you know, a, a five, a five day mountaineering trip will feel like exploration uh, a 20 minute walk up a creek I've never been up before will also feel like exploration. And so I think it's just um, just redefining how we how we see those things. Hey guys, I just want to pause real quick to tell you about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. Right now, you can go to visualwilderness.com and get tons of information on how you can improve your photography through courses, tutorials, articles, or a year's subscription to Visual Wilderness. Now, I partner with Visual Wilderness several times throughout the year making courses for them, and you can get any of my courses right now for 33% off if you use the code David33 during checkout. You can get any of those courses that I've made on visualwilderness.com or you can go to my website at davidjohnstonart.com and click on the learn tab and find all of those there. You can buy them through my website too. You can also get that discount 33% off for a limited time when you use the code David33 during checkout. Let's get back to our discussion with Paul. We've talked about underdocumented or undocumented locations. With the increasing accessibility to quality photography, and I mean, the iPhone 12 just came out, which has a phenomenal camera in it. And I know a lot of people just use that as their camera. Are we going to reach a point in the near future or anytime soon where the underexplored become overexplored? Yeah, I think the I think really the fact that 
I think the fact that the gear is better, yeah, you're going to be able to travel a little bit more light. But I think um, ultimately, just the fact that the gear is getting so much, so much better, it's still not going don't, to... I don't see it directly impacting... Um, I don't see it reversing that trend that I see of people just showing up at destiny at locations and wanting to cram in as much as they can. And instead of committing more and more time exploring, like get, venturing away from the road and actually doing some, some real exploring. So I don't feel, no, I per- personally, I don't feel like the gear is going to be a big factor in that. I think, I, I think as long as, as long as people have to um, sacrifice or commit you know, hours to getting to a spot or have to have to earn the shots or sweat a little bit or carry the backpack. I think that, I think that'll, I think those places will remain um, under, under documented for quite some time. I'm interested, Paul, how important are, are personal projects to your creative energy and just to rattle off a few personal projects since we're talking about exploration here a, a double crossing of iceland on foot a solo crossing of south of the south island of new zealand um exploring the canadian rocky peaks like we've been talking about how important is that to fueling your creativity it's hugely important and really i think to 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 sort of um emphasize what i said before and when i went to when i did those particular trips in iceland and new zealand um that was before photography i wasn't even a photographer then Uh, i think i took 10 photos in iceland and maybe double that in new zealand and i i think that reinforces the you know for me it's always been more about exploration than than photography now photography is a huge part of my life now and so when I go out and explore, of course, I'll carry the gear everywhere that I go. But really, I think um, the, the, I, I, there's nothing that I like more than just seeing new terrain and traveling across new terrain. And it's in a way, it works out well that that opens, that opens up a lot of you. It gets you to witness and hopefully document a lot of beauty. And it opens up tons of photo opportunities. So those those projects, um, in a way, are um, they've always been the priority all along. As just now, I now I carry the packs a bit heavier than it used to be because I carry the camera, so I can um, you know share some of the experiences that I have out there. Um, now the project, because of the kids and stuff, the projects are not quite as involved. Hopefully they'll become more involved in a few years from now again. But for now, for now, they're, um, you know, they're, they're shorter. Uh, they, they, they're, they're usually, um, you know, might just be a day out, might just be a few days or I take off for two, three weeks abroad, but, um, they're always, it's always the same idea. It's always, the priority is always to, um, follow my nose and allow myself to be curious and hopefully, you know, um, get get in touch with the the inner child a little bit, and then if um, if photos come out of it, then that's great. And if not, well, I still win because I've had a good time and I've had a good experience. Is that an attitude you would encourage more photographers to pick up? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And I talk like someone who's got it all together, but really, I <laughs> I, I I fail I fail all the time. I mean, so often I will go out. And I'm much more driven by the results, consciously or not. I'm much more dri- driven by 
the results than the process and more more i'm more excited about you know uh, i see more value in hopefully getting an image than 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 i see just having a good time and um and but it's something that you know when i'm more when i'm more in tune with that when i've got my approach um under control and i feel like things are under control then i'm in a position where i can really try to encourage that in others for sure because yeah i see the same thing all the time you know you're in especially running workshops in places that are very photographed you know when we run workshops in iraqis we'll do a blend but we will go to the iconic spots that people have probably seen a thousand times before they set foot at that location for the first time and you'll see people going to moraine lake for sunrise and because they didn't get the fiery conditions they were hoping for by lunchtime they're disappointed and you know you get in a situation where it's like well you owe it you owe it to the rest of the world to not have a disappointing experience from a sunrise at moraine lake it's still a sunrise at moraine lake you know and i was in that situation where a few years ago where repeatedly I'd be disappointed because I didn't get the conditions I was hoping for. And I thought, hang on, like that, that's not, that's not the, uh, I'm, I'm doing things for the right reasons here. I need to shift my perspective and go about things differently. Cause I'm not going to, there's no way I'll be able to still do this five or even two years from now. I need to go about things differently. And, and that's really changed. I still fail, but that's really improved. Um, well, it's improved my work, no doubt about it. And it's really made for um, just better experiences out there overall. And so I've, I've really, that's something that I talk about all the time at workshops, et cetera, just trying to get people to, um, and including myself, to really not, so, not be so much focused on the result, but really embracing the process, which includes just... Um, just immer- you know immersion and just getting a feel for a location and getting in touch with their own sense of adventure and um, yeah and that way and and also I think um, you see it I see it myself I see it at workshops too people when people finally accept and realize that they're not getting the conditions that they were hoping for to, for that pre visualized image that they that that they that he wanted to create. That's interestingly that's when they start to truly create because as opposed to trying to microwave an idea that they've seen a million times or, or basically go after the shot that to them comes really easily and that they can pretty much put together with their eyes closed. But those types of images don't really push them forward as photographers. So it's, yeah, it's such an interesting topic, but I think uh, when, I think we're all guilty of that. Uh, For me, it's cyclical. I get to, I get to a point where if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not acting out, if I'm not going out there with purpose, I get caught up in it again. And I just, I can just try to recreate the shots that, uh, that basically uh, either are easy to me or that I know will get a strong online reaction. And, or, and if I don't get those images, I come home with a negative experience, which is such a shame. But ho- now those are those unfortunate um, instances are f- you know, fewer and far between now. Well, I was going to say, you know, it's easy 
it's easy for people to talk about, you know, having that mindset and going out and photographing. Uh, I preach the same thing all the time, but like Mm -hmm. you, I always find myself falling back in that cyclical pattern of doing exactly what you described. Is there a way that you help people shift their expectations? I don't want to say lower their expectations because I feel like photographers are are optimistically pessimistic on, on every photo shoot they go out on being (laughs) excited about going, but like, I don't know if the conditions are going to work out. Is is there a way that you help people shift their expectations about just having fun? And if that shot comes, it comes. Well, I think when you force people into places, they've never seen any images of before, then they're forced to give up right away that they're they're forced to give up that idea which it, usually it's subconscious that 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 they're forced to abandon that attempt of just of recreating something that they've seen many many times before mm-hmm. so and I, and and that's why we always try to include a component uh you know sort of that that unknown in in the various workshops that we do perhaps we go to places that are not nearly as epic or iconic or where, you know, the scene is not, the shot is not fed to you as easily, but then you'll never see anybody upset by that. You just see people sort of shift into a, a, a different way of thinking where they're like, okay, well, I've got to figure this one out now. And it's amazing. You'll come out of those places where wildly rendi- wild, wildly different renditions of the place because people's it's not like they're working in a vacuum but they're they 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 can um they don't even have the option to um resorting to that bank of possibilities that's in their brain because they've you know typically those people have they've seen your shots of the place as a workshop leader maybe or they've seen those images online because they consume most of their photography on social media and so i think that's a, a wonderful way a wonderful way to um, to encourage people to prioritize exploration over photography. Interestingly, is to just just take them somewhere that they don't they wouldn't really expect. You've published six books so far, six photography books. Um, you have one on the way on aerial photography in the Canadian Rockies. What was it like creating that book? Because I feel like the style shift is, is something that is new to you? Oh, it's very different. I mean, there's aerial photography is a whole different beast. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's, a, and it's a, it's a far cry from what I'm used to shooting in the sense that, you know, it's not like, it's not like you have the, the, the luxury of foregrounds for composition. It's, it's, it'd be hard to, it'd be hard to include the human element, you know, it's, it, Astro is not really an option too much and so it's uh and you're at the mercy of you know there's of restrictions that you're not really used to dealing with you know just um just spatially you're more restricted in a way interestingly you know yeah you're you don't you're not you're not bound to the the ground anymore but at the same time it's not like you know there's safety safety things to consider and you may have intentions for your for your flight plan and then you have to you know do like do the same thing you have to do in landscape photography and realize that, okay, this, this plan A is not going to work out, but I need to pivot quickly to make, um, so to make the most of what, what I'm, 
uh, what I'm given right now. So I think you need to be an adaptable photographer. Um, you've got, you know, a lot of technical stuff that you need, you need to figure out in order to get the best images that you can. And communication becomes a huge part of photography, communications with the pilot, which is not something that I have to worry about when I just go out in the landscape. It's just, it's just me and whatever I want to do, I do. And, and so it's, yeah, it's a total shift in perspective, um, in the way of working certainly, but for me, it was a book that I really wanted to create because simply because I've, I'm always, my main passion is that drives my work is the Canadian Rockies. And, and it's whenever I get a chance to see the Rockies in a new, from a new angle, especially those places that I'm familiar with, it's such a joy to see them from a totally different perspective. And so the way that the book happened, it sem- somewhat accidentally where, I was hired to do aerial shoots for very various clients over the years, like Banff Lake Louise Tourism and Parks Canada and all that. And eventually I just realized that I actually had, um, you know, I had a, quite a bit of the geography covered just through those shoots and that it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to actually cover the areas that I hadn't covered yet. And so I just proceeded to, yeah, I pitched the idea to my my usual publisher, Rocky Mountain Books, and they loved it. And then I just planned a few flights that would allow me to fill in the gaps and try to align the best conditions that I could. And then I had clear flight plan. I had clear shots that I wanted to get in order to make the book as uh, as thorough as it could be in terms of geography. So um, yeah, so it was it was a very whereas the other books, the other books were different because I never really set out produce a book in those cases i just basically went out for the other books and i shot whatever i was excited about and then years later you look at what you've created and you sort of curate more or less the best of what what still stands the time the test of time for you and then you just publish it all together in a nice you know in a nice book but with the aerial book the yeah the process was quite a bit different did it give you any ideas of what you could photograph on the ground that could be differently because you're seeing something at such a different perspective? Absolutely. You know, I always felt, I've always felt like the more you get out, the longer the list gets, you know, even if you get out on the ground, hiking, mountaineering, whatever it is, you always see that, you know, distant lake or distant peak or valley that, or, or even you, you just want to, um, you just want to revisit a different time of year or at night or whatever. You just always come back with more ideas than you had that morning. The list, the to-do list always gets longer. And especially so with aerials where you cover so much ground in say an hour and your brain is just in overdrive, just thinking about all the places that, you know, especially for me, it was definitely an interesting, um, an interesting sort of, epiphany i guess to realize yeah i knew i thought i knew the park system pretty well but then you realize that you've explored such a small percentage uh at least at least with you know with purpose from the ground you've explored such a small percentage of that area so that yeah after after that book um there's definitely definitely countless projects um the vast majority of which i'll never get to in this lifetime but it's it's nice to have plans (laughs) When is that coming out? Uh, it's slotted to come out exactly a year from now. And so, yeah, so 
COVID willing, everything with the timeline will be the same. There's been some things that have been shifted around, but as far as I know, it's coming out in the fall. Awesome. Well, he's Paul Zizka. Paul, I want to thank you for coming on and talking with us about photography and then just your experiences with it too. It was such a pleasure, David. Thanks so much for all the great great questions. Uh, Always a real pleasure to talk to you.